book of James. The book of James, chapter number 1. And again, tonight we're going to be reading those first 12 verses. And uh, I'll do this just in case you, you weren't here on, uh, in this case, on last Wednesday, this past Wednesday night. But uh, we want to give you kind of a, a very quick recap. And so James chapter number 1, start reading in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man that think that... For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse number 8 now. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice that he is exalted. But the rich in that he is made low, because he is, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. Now, we ask you that you would bless your word. I pray that you would help me today. Lord, hide us behind the cross. Bless your people in this house tonight. We thank you for the good singing that we've had. Lord, we pray that you would bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. And I I don't think I gave you the title on uh, Wednesday night, but this uh, this is a continuation of part number two, but the title is... Uh, and we get this from one of the first few verses, the trying of your faith. But uh, just by way of uh, of a recap, we dealt with the realization of testing in verses two and three. There, there is no Christian that will not go through some sort of testing, some sort of a trial. And just to uh, reiterate, this testing is a proving, if you will. It is to prove one's faith. And so there's a realization of the testing. But with that realization of this testing, there is a response. And um, I pointed out very first of all was we need to have our hands off. And the scripture says, let patience have her perfect will. And so uh, A.T. Robertson said that we need to let patience carry on the work to the end. That's that perfect work, if you will. And so we just let let our hands off and we let God take care of everything from start to finish and from the point of salvation until the point that we are in the presence of God, we allow God to do the work. And then he says there in, I believe it's verse number two, he said that we ought to count it all joy. 
And this means that we ought to do it now and we ought to do it once and for all. In our lives, in our Christian lives, you've heard what we may call giants of the faith uh, that have been saved for many, many years. We need to, we, we look at them and we hear their testimonies, how that they have looked back and they can say it's been worth it all. But can I say, if you've only been saved for a short period of time, according to the Word of God here, even in that short period of time, you can look at your life and you could count it joy because you are going to go through some temptation, or in this case, some testing, and you need to count it for joy. So, there is a response to this, uh, this testing, and this response is faith. We see this in verse number 6, in verse number 7, and then in verse number 8. Because verse number 6, it tells us that as we trust God in our faith, it needs to be firm. We don't need to be going... Um, in and out, up and down. Our faith doesn't need to waver. Uh, we mentioned that this morning, that we're tossed about, we're carried about with every wind of doctrine. Or here, we're, we're, we're uh, like a wave of the sea driven with every wind and tossed. That should never be a description of a child of God. But now we look tonight at uh, point number three in this message, and this is the remedy of the testing and we'll pick up our reading again in verse number 9. And um, right off, I'll, I'll not reread it, but we probably will here in just a moment, a moment. But as you read down through verse number 1 and you get to verse number 2, there is a clear uh, line drawn there that there's a greeting, and then there's the beginning of the message. But then you get from verse number 6, verse number 7, and verse number 8, and there seems to be... Uh, to me, at least, in, in looking at this, there seems to be a blurred line. Like, what exactly is happening here? What is happening here? He goes from he goes from verse number eight: a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But then all of a sudden, he goes into verse number nine: let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. And it would seem as though James is starting an entirely different uh, subject, a, a new thought altogether, and. The Apostle Paul is known to do this in one chapter. He may give you three or four different thoughts within one chapter, but James here is not doing this. Uh, James is uh, perfectly in context with, with what he's speaking of. If we go back in the chapter, we'll look. I didn't make notations of actually where, but if you start reading verse number 2, it says, My brethren, and then he says... Um, in verse number 5, if any of you, then he says in verse number 5, let him, he says all men, in verse number 6, let him, then he says in verse number uh, 7, let not that man think, and then he says a double-minded man in verse number 8, and so James in verse number 9, verse number 10 and 11, he is essentially, he is adding an illustration to his message. He is saying that these these people that are going through these testings, they they are different type people. There may be some that are rich, and there may be some that are poor. There may be some that are spiritually mature, and there may be some that are spiritually immature. There may be some that are that are well off in their Christian life, and some that may not be. But but he says here to the one that is poor. He says, as you go through in verse number 9, he says, Let the brother of low degree, 
let him, as he is going through this testing, let him rejoice. What does it say? In that he is exalted. So he says, as you go through this trial, this testing, if you will, he said, and you come through it on the other side and you have fared well, he says, then what you need to do is rejoice. Now, we're talking about the remedy of testing. So you can write it down. What is the remedy? It's one, it's one word, rejoice. What is the one word of testing? It is rejoice. And so if you're going through a trial tonight, you're going through a testing, a trying of your faith, the remedy is not some in, in, the, in the physical realm, it's not some antibiotic, it's not some steroid, but it is to rejoice. And the writer here, he says, let that poor man, when he goes through this trial, this testing of his faith, and maybe he comes through and maybe he loses everything that he has, which is not a lot. Maybe he comes through with only what he has, but nonetheless, let him rejoice. But the question remains, why should he rejoice? It's because that he realizes that everything that he has, uh, whether it's physical or whether it's uh, emotional, it may be taken away, but his true riches, those things that are spiritual, cannot be taken away from him. And so he comes to this realization in this testing that it cannot be taken away. But then he says in verse number nine, and, and this one kind of kind of gripped my heart. He says, let the brother of low degree, excuse me, verse number 10, but the rich, the rich man, he says, while he is in testing, he says, let the rich man in that he is made low. Let him do what? Let him rejoice. Why should he rejoice, Kaylee? He should rejoice because he's made low. Y'all following me? Listen now. He says, let him rejoice in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Verse number 11. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. And so we look at this, and so we saw in the previous verse that there was a poor man that relatively had nothing, but yet he came to the realization that everything that he truly had of worth was from God, and nobody could take that away, so so he, he could rejoice. But now you have a man that maybe he has amassed wealth, and maybe he's got possessions and, and all of these things, but still James says that this man, too, can rejoice. We're talking about the rim of testing. And even the rich man can rejoice, but he was very specific. He says, let him rejoice in that he is made low. So I began to look at this, and, and my question here is, why should this rich man uh, that maybe loses everything that he has, why should he rejoice? Maybe he has to file bankruptcy. Maybe he loses his house. Maybe he loses some, some other possession. Maybe he loses his money. Whatever it may be. Uh, but here's the, here's the kicker in this. Uh, because neither his riches nor himself uh, shall pass away. Uh, none of those 
things, or excuse me, uh, neither his riches nor himself will last forever. Uh, they will pass away. Uh, but again, just as that poor man, the thing that he does have that comes from God will never pass away. Uh, that's what he's saying, that that rich man is made low. He's come to the realization that outside of all of the things that he may have, he's still got something that no one can take away. Inevitably, you start talking about rich man, poor man. You're going you're gonna to come back to what Christ said. It's, in, it's written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I believe. Matthew chapter number 10, I believe, is where I, I found that earlier. Um, chapter 19, I think I said 10. Chapter 19, Matthew. Um, Jesus is dealing with the, the rich young ruler. And if you remember the story of the rich young ruler, he had great intentions to follow Christ. And he says that I've done all of these things. What, 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 what lacketh yet I? And Jesus says, you need to go and you need to sell everything that you have and then follow me. And he went away sorrowful. And Jesus said this. He says that it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And I just saw this just a couple of days ago. Someone was talking about the, the place over in, in, in Israel in the desert. There's some rock formation that they call the eye of a needle. And they said it's easier for a camel to get down and go through that than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. And, and that's fine. I don't disbelieve that. But I'm very literal minded. And, and so I have to picture a, a small needle and then, and then a camel trying to go through that. That's the way my mind works. I, I look at that. But he's not saying that men with riches don't go to heaven. There's men in here today, there's ladies in here today that probably have more money than others. And there's nothing wrong with that. Y'all need to hear me. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the fact that you have money. Matter of fact, the New Testament teaches that it's not money that's the root of all evil, but it's the love of money. And I think it's a testimony to those folks that God has blessed this church with that the folks that do have money, they bless this church and people within this church because they love God and they love the people and they give. And so I'm not getting on anybody tonight because you may or may not have money. But this evening, inevitably, somebody's going to say, well, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Well, what, what's being dealt with here in this passage there in Matthew? You have a man that had good intentions, but he would not get rid of his wealth in order to follow Christ. And so, essentially, though he may have kept the Ten Commandments, he was not ready, willing, truly to follow Christ. And that's what it all boils down to. It boils down to whether you're willing to get rid of everything and follow Christ. And it's been testified. Everybody in this place has started with nothing. I don't know of anybody that is in here that was born with a silver spoon in your mouth. I don't know of anybody that, that was born that way. We've all worked. We've all tried. We've all got. Some have gotten lost. Some have gotten gained. But the truth of the matter is, when it's all boiled down to it, if you lose everything through testings and through the tribulations of the soul, you can rejoice in that testing. Because 
whatever's in your bank account may be depleted to zero or to the negative, but there's something within you that no banker and no politician and no man or woman can ever take away from you. If your, as Brother Jody would say, is your broke as a joke, you ain't got a dime to your name, you too can rejoice when you're in the middle of testing because they can't take something away from you. So we see here that the key or the remedy of testing is, and let me say this, this is not in my notes, but the remedy for testing is not begging God to get out of testing. How many of us have been guilty of that? Both, both my hands up. I, I mean, for woo-wee. Brother Kenny, I can't tell you how many times. I'm, Lord, I don't like this. Get me out of it. Get me out of it. Get me out of it. But what he's doing, there's, 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 we'll probably visit this at some point, but the Scripture mentions about that silver being tried seven times. The Scripture being pure, purer than silver tried seven times in the fire. So it's going through that fire and... And I'm sure you've heard it when when it when that metal is placed in that thing. I feel like Samuel should crucible. Is that right, right, what the word I'm looking for? When that metal is placed in that crucible, and then that fire is placed there, and that metal begins to melt. Before that metal can melt, that heat has to be brought up to temperature, and then it begins to melt. But then there's that dross that comes over it. Those impurities. And that silversmith may take that dross off time after time after time until it's pure. And that's what testings do in our life. They are provings. They are proving who you are. I mentioned this several weeks ago. They are proving whose you are. So don't forget that. But the remedy is not to ask God to get you out of it. The remedy is to rejoice in the middle of it. And then we'll finish with this thought tonight, the result of testing. The result of testing. Now, I'm going to need you all to, to, to help me because I might get excited, but if I don't, I need you all to. Okay? Verse number 12, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now, if you just read over this, you're going to miss something. He says, He endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, there's several things right there. One in the sawdust of Camp Canaan back in June or July, this crown of life. It, it, there's, there's been a kind of a, 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 a study that I've wanted to do about the crowns. And I, I've yet to do it, but but this kind of refreshes that. But Tuesday night when Brother Jody was speaking at the um, the men's meeting, Lost and Found, when he got down here and he started reading it, maybe he read it several times, he says, to them that love him, I began to think. And, and, and this, I'm going to need y'all's help. Does any verse in Scripture kind of pop into your mind when you read that? Does any verse come, out, come, to, my, come to your mind? I know you can't tell me what one comes to my mind because that's a scary place. The one that comes to my mind is Romans 8.28. It uses very similar phrasing there. 
So, Brother Jody, while you were talking, you, you said that when I was preaching the other night, you got distracted and started studying for Tuesday night. So, Tuesday night when you were speaking, I got distracted for Wednesday night. But there's something about to them that love him. And you'll find that phrase several times exactly, but then you'll find some close matches. And so, there may be a study that comes from that. But there's a result of testing. So, Going back to something that Brother Jody said, and I mentioned this Wednesday night, the word here is endureth. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. The word endureth, Brother Jody defined it as to suffer something painful patiently. If you're like me, I don't like any pain. But for me, one of the worst pains is arthritis and a headache. And I know that pales in comparison to some of the pain that y'all have dealt with. But those two I can't stand. But if, I, I deal with arthritis every day. But the headaches, man, it can start. And Brother David, I'm, I'm going for the cabinet. Tylenol, Advil, something. If it even looks like it might be for headaches, I'm taking it. It might be for something entirely different, but I'm going to try it. So I'm not enduring the suffering patiently. I'm trying to get rid of it. He said it is to suffer something painful patiently or to sustain without impairment or yielding. To sustain suffering without impairment or yielding. And that was by Dr. Jody Russell, if anybody wants to quote that. So these testings of our faith, these provings of our faith, there's no doubt that at times they are painful. There's no doubt that at times we look at God and we say, why am I going through this? As I was studying this, one thing that overwhelmingly came up in a lot of the men that I was reading was weaning a child. From nursing or from a bottle. And I thought, that's kind of odd. But over and over and over again, these men of yesteryear kept talking about weaning a child. And this child understands that his mother loves him or loves her, but yet won't give them what they want. And they begin to wonder and begin to question, do they really love me? But that mother loves them so much, they want them to grow. And so instead of the bottle, instead of the milk, they need to eat something more substantial. But the child doesn't understand that. And the child begins to look at the mother or begins to look at the father and say, you don't love me anymore. That's what these testings are. These testings are to prove us, to mature us. But in the middle of these testings, sometimes we look at God while we're in pain and we say, I thought you loved me. What have I done wrong? Why are you punishing me? Society teaches us that when we go through something, it is always a punishment. But I want to remind you and or maybe reinstill this in you. Spiritually, when you're going through something, it is not always a punishment. It could be a testing. It may be a punishment. 
It may be a punishment from God. It could be a punishment of yourself. It, it may be a temptation from Satan. But I want you to know that sometimes the testings, the provings that we find ourselves going through, it, it could be just to mature us. It could be God weaning us from one part of maturity to another. So no doubt they've been painful. The question is, according to this definition, the question is, have you become impaired or have you become strengthened by these testings? The question is, have you yielded to the testing? I told you a couple months ago about my daddy and how that he used to watch wrestling. And as such, me and my friends, we would wrestle, but we couldn't, we couldn't rightly do exactly what they would do, but we would, we would wrestle, and if it got too bad, we would tap out. We would tap out. We would tap their, their legs. We would tap anything we could find. I'm dying here. I need you to let me go. That's what we were yielding. Have you yielded to the, have you said, God, I can't take it anymore? Listen, well, Jody, you mentioned this the other night. I'm just going to turn over there because y'all are not going to believe, you're not going to believe me if I could find it. Let me see if I could find it. Y'all don't go nowhere. I believe it's in 2 Corinthians, and I'm in 1st. That's not it. Chapter 12. No, that's not it either. Anyway, it's in there somewhere. Y'all do your own Bible reading. We, we hear it all the time, and I've mentioned this before, but the statement, God won't put more on you than you can bear. And that may sound good. And it may sound like good advice to someone that's hurting, but the truth of the matter is, sometimes He will. And the reason is, is because He is testing. And so, if, if, if your limit is, just say, 100 pounds, He's going to put 101 pounds on you. He's not doing that so you will break. But He's doing that to see if you can... Hold 105 pounds or 110 pounds. He, he's doing that so you can become stronger. Paul says that he was, he was pressed out of measure. And he went so far as to say that he despaired even of life. There's so much weight pressed upon the apostle Paul, Hunter, that he was ready to die. And so, you know, if someone tells you, God will not put more on you, but you don't have to argue with them. Just say thank you, smile, and, and, and move on. But I would encourage you not to say that to someone simply because that person may be going through a testing. And God truly may be putting something on them that they may feel like they cannot handle. But I'm glad that God knows who we are. And God knows what we can handle. And I'm glad of this. 
God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, I believe it's in Galatians chapter 6. To bear one another's burdens. Bear ye one another's burdens. So when we cannot bear the burdens ourselves, we have a brother and a sister to do that with us. But we also know that Jesus Christ is there with us to help bear those burdens. So, here's this word, endureth. But then this is the part that I told you you might miss if you're not careful. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now, this temptation, this, this, this is this, this trial, this proving. This is not, this is not any type of um, plan to get you to sin. That comes later in verse number 13. This is, this is the word that means to prove. But he said, this is what you're going to miss. For when he is tried, tried is the word, brother, brother uh, Terry, that's the word we're going to miss. And if we're not careful, we're going to think that this word tried is the same thing as the word trying. For Or when he is tested, or when he is tempted, or when he goes through this temptation. But this word tried, it blessed my socks off. Because this word tried, it means that the testing is, that the testing is over. And it means that you have come through the proving process. It means that you have finished the test. It means that you are now on the other side and you've, you've been found acceptable and you've been found approved. And can I tell you today, that's cause and that's reason for us to to rejoice. Because there's been multiple times, no matter how many times you've been saved, that you have come through a testing. You have been tried. You have come through on the other side. And God's found you acceptable and you didn't even know it. You didn't even realize it. But God's found you acceptable. And guess what? When He finds you acceptable for one task, He then puts you in line for another task. And then you find yourself tried again. And tried again. And tried again. Why? Does God hate you? No! He loves you. And He wants you to be more than you were yesterday. We're promised a crown of life. He says to them that love Him, to, to those that endure... I quickly close with this thought. Warren Wearsby has been kind of a, a source of some information for me here. And he said this, there are four essentials. And, and I, I read this in a different way at the beginning of this message on uh, Wednesday night. <clears throat> but he reworded it in the, in the same paragraph. He said, there are four essentials for victory in trials. A joyful attitude, an understanding mind a surrendered will, and a heart that wants to believe. And he said, if you have these four things, then you can come through that testing. He also gave an illustration about a woman that came to his church. And he said that this woman was blind. She had had a stroke and became blind. And on top of that, her husband had some major health problems And uh, he he was in the hospital, and it looked as though he would die. And so at church one Sunday, she was there, and he approached her, and he called her by name, and he said, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And she said, 
how, how are you praying? What are you asking God for? And he says, I'm asking God to help you and to strengthen you. And she said, I, I, I very much appreciate that. But if you will pray one more thing, pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste it all. I, when I was reading this, I stopped. And I had to think, Miss Tanya, what, what, did, what did he say that she said? And then I continued to read. And it did the same thing to him. He said it stopped him in his tracks, Brother Terry. And he said that she understood James chapter number 1, the testings of our faith. She understood these diverse temptations. She understood that she needed to count it all for joy. She understood that she, she does not need to waste these testings. So I leave you with this thought, with this prayer tonight, is that you, that we, myself included, as we go through these testings, these provings, if you will, that we don't waste it. It's very easy to do so. It's easy to say, well, I made it through another one. It's easy to say, whew, barely come through that one. It's easy to try to pray your way out of it. It's a whole different story to let patience have her perfect work and take your hand off it and let God do what He wants to do. So, let's stand.